Hello? Can you spin the um, screen round? Then I can see it. Doesn't it do that thing? Morning, all. Ah, right. Oh. No, did, I just, did we just break it? How you all doing? Anyone here like Lord of the Rings? Anyone who's watched it a lot, do you know quotes from it? Right, okay. This is how I feel this morning, James. There's a bit where Gandalf says, 300 years of men I've lived, but I have no time. Do you remember that bit? Just James? No one else? It's kind of that sense that you've got a lot of time to prepare and then suddenly it's there. Well, that's like this sermon today. Spend loads of time preparing it. Still feels a little bit out there. Right, Jamie's been asking me for my learning objectives. It's good when a non-teacher asks a teacher for a learning objective. Do you find any time when someone says, right, we're going to go into group work and we want you to do this, they tell you the group work question, and as soon as you turn your chair around, your brain goes blank. Every time that happens to me. So I'm not going to make you turn your chairs around, we're going to be all right. Okay, so we are going to... Are we all, all look at that, it's all ready to go. Okay, cool. I was going to show you a film. I got a lovely film, I downloaded it last night, I got it all queued up. Daniel Jones couldn't make it work. But it's a thought that counts, right? So I thought about showing you a film. So now you've got to feel kind of warm, and that was really good. Daniel showed us a film. Have you got that? No, you've not got that. I thought I'd try and get away with that. Okay, so... Um, Appreciate Phil uh, letting me on early. It means we've got about an hour and a half, so that should be good. Okay, so um, I was just thinking about where we are, and I was kind of reflecting back. As a history teacher, I like reflecting back. History being the best uh, humanities subject. Better than RS, definitely. Right, and definitely better than the geography. Right, now, and, uh, you know, we live in some interesting times, but 100 years ago... We had all this stuff about the Somme, and uh, some, you know, some amazing and horrific things happened um, this time 100 years ago. So on the first day of the Somme, there were 57,000 British casualties. That's, that's, those, those numbers are so big, it's hard to take in. But of course, that was the time where many people had signed up, um, or many men had signed up at the start of the First World War. And they'd signed up, and they signed up, and you had all these things they called POWs brigades. It means sign up with your friends, and you can serve with your friends. So what that meant was that when the people from, uh, when they finally got trained, it was about the time of the Somme. That was the volunteer army. That was the one that came forward. All the professional soldiers had pretty much been killed off. So it was the volunteer army. So all those people that had marched down to the recruiting stations in uh, 1914 and all, this was their first big battle. And they went over the top. And the interesting thing is that there's quite a lot of survivors from the First World War. We hear a lot about the people who died, but there's a lot of people who survived. But the thing is, there were pockets. So it wasn't that one person would have died in a village. It meant they all died. It wasn't that one person survived. They all survived. So one of the things I'm often thinking about when I think about the 20th century, look at the, we, I kind of reflect on the fatherless generation. And I wonder how much that's affected us as a nation and, and the rest of uh, Western Europe, just having a, a, just a whole bunch of fathers wiped out. So we can get all focused on the stats and the stuff like that, but it's those things, how they trickle down and how they affect it. I was watching a film on Friday night, um, The Big Short. Anyone seen The Big Short? Yeah? Did you understand it? It's about the financial crash. But you know, there was a couple of things that they said that just stuck out to me. One was, uh, whenever there's a financial crisis... No matter who's to blame, it's always the immigrants and the poor that get blamed. It's interesting, isn't it? When we look at all that kind of stuff coming through, is that not the same? Again, it's the immigrants and the poor that get blamed. And here was the other stat. Now, I might not have this quite correct, but there's one part where some of them get really excited about having beaten the system. And the guy turns around and and they're dancing. They're dancing. Yeah, we've beaten the system, we've beaten the system. He says, don't you realise this is the crash, this is the breakdown of Western economics. It's the end of it. And do you realise that 1% of people on unemployment in America results in 40,000 people dying? 1%. Now, 
we can start to think all that about this. There's stress, there's the finance, there's obviously a different situation there. But those big things have big effects. And we live in momentous times. We've, we've had, um, we've had the, the referendum. I think we can all recognise the referendum was more than the referendum, if you know what I mean. There was a lot more going on. And I, I see it as linked with a lot of things. The whole rise of Donald Trump. It's nice to have some American visitors with us today. We won't point out to them at all who they are. Actually, Zachary said to me the other day, I was looking at a news magazine, I had a picture of Trump and a picture of Clinton. He said, that's Trouble Hump. (laughs) That's Trouble Hump who wants a war. And I think it's Trump who wants a wall, but... I tweeted that out, I thought it was quite funny, and straight away someone came back and said, you don't... Don't get involved with the adults, or something like that. And I almost replied and said, so adults will be people who don't call people names, but there you go. It's interesting, you can stir people up. But you see, even within that whole thing about Trump's rise, and actually even the support, the growth of the Labour Party in recent membership, and then the support of Corbyn, there is something about people that they, they are irritated and fed up and utterly, utterly frustrated with business as usual. They want something different. And I think I see a line all the way through. It is absolutely clear. Uh, I, before, before the um, <coughs> referendum, I w- I've started to get... It was Actually, it was even before the Scottish referendum, I've been starting to look at that whole question, what is Englishness? We're all very clear. Um, we know what Scots are like. Yeah, Welsh. Have we got, we've got them all here, actually. We've got, got a little Celtic corner over there. We've got Avril and Jonesy there. We've got Welsh. We've got Scots, that kind of thing. You know what the Irish are like? I have to live with that every day. So <laughs> they're all very clear about what they are. But it feels to me that English is just... English means you're just not one of them. All right? Do you know that when you can tick a form, I think this is still the case, that if, you, um, if you're putting down your, um, your ethnicity, you can be black... British, but you can't be black English. Hmm. So, all funny things there. But I was looking at this whole thing about Englishness, and as I was travelling around the country, I, I was doing the business, and then after it, I said to people, what do you think about Englishness? And you know what's really clear? Once you get north of Watford, they don't like London very much. Right? They don't like London. There is a sense of that, that London's like a kind of European city... And we're the proper ones. You know you can fly a Union Jack in the north of England and not be a racist. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. I'll start on you in a minute. Give me a reason. It's interesting how those things are different. It's interesting how people basically feel separated already. And those things are already there. And I think it's interesting times we live in. Um, The whole focus for authenticity or something genuine... I think, you know, some of the stuff about Trump, people say, well, you know what you get. But, you know, we had a whole of Obama's original campaign was about hope. And I wonder if there's a sense that people feel kind of, you know, we went for hope, it didn't work. Let's go for something else. There's change of foot. And, of course, with change, there's opportunity. People are despairing on what to do. I really think there is a level of despair. You know, at the end of that film... Uh, the, big, uh, the big short, it talked about the whole problem about bunching these debts together and making them look like they weren't bad debts. And apparently in 2015, the banks launched another thing that's really quite like that, which they did. So it's, you know, we can see history repeat itself in that sense. People are irritated. People are despairing. But you know what? That's not a new situation for us. I think it's now that people start to recognise that we're at the end of ourselves. And I'm not just talking about us in the church, I'm talking about people out there. We're at the end. It's not worked. When we had money 10 years ago, did you know we had money? We had money 10 years ago. We were pretty miserable then. We have not got money now, we're still miserable. What is clear is that money has not helped in that sense. I think, there, I think we live in an interesting time of opportunity, of change. And in that sense, we, we need grace. We need to get an understanding of grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The world is wretched. It needs grace. Yeah? We can't be playing church. We can't be having meetings in a kind of Christian social club. We've got to affect this world. 
because it's crying out for it. It's crying out for some change, some difference. Right. In Ephesians, it talks about making use of all the days because the days are evil. And Jesus talks about life in abundance. I've always thought abundance is an interesting word. I don't think it necessarily means good. I think it means lots. I think, um, you know, in England, we get lots of weather, don't we? People say, how's the weather? Well, we've had lots of it. And I think that's something, when Jesus said, I want to give you life and life in abundance, I think it's like, it's like having squash. You know where you get double concentrate and you didn't realise it was double concentrate? Right? That's, that's life in abundance. That's like, ooh! It's not a mediocre life. It's life in abundance. I think it's the best of times or the worst of times. I think that's what we're signed up for. Sorry, if you were hoping for something else. Right. Oh, oh. See, that's turned and that's not. Come on, Daniel Jones. You know, I've been reflecting a little bit on what Jamie's been saying to us, what he's been bringing, and, um, and holding things in common. In fact, actually, while I've got your attention, this is the one thing I'll do which I shouldn't. Has anyone got my decorating pole? It's a grey Harris pole. <laughs> I lent it to someone... I was pretty sure it was Stephen Wright, but he claims, no, I talked about the grey pole for a long time and then I gave him a red one. I've got the red one. Who's got my grey decorating pole? It's not got that. It's one you put the brush on the end of it and you go like that. No? Oh, you've got it. No, <laughs> You could take that sentence out of context. Right, OK. Uh, here's the thing. It, <laughs> I, for some reason, there was something about what Jamie was teaching over the, past, over the past couple of weeks, and I thought, yeah, lending stuff, and I thought, someone's got my decorating pole, and I need to do my decking. And I thought, right, okay, well, when I get that back, I'm not going to lend it again. I thought, that's it, stuff it, I'm not going to lend it. And I thought, ooh, that's interesting, isn't it? Because, of course, there's the cost there, isn't it? I've still not got it, so I've not got to go through that. And with the little devil of you who's got my decorating pole, give it back to me so that I might, you know, lay it down. <laughs> dear, dear, dear. Right, okay. This whole, the whole stuff that Jamie's been looking at that's radical normal thing really does lead us towards the, the stuff of the conference we've got coming up in the uh, May-June half term, which we're calling Pilgrimage 17. Um, Pilgrimage 17, Foundations and Future. Um, see, there's something about a pilgrimage which is both old and new. Um, when people go on a pilgrimage, or they go on Hajj, or these different things, it's, it's, it's something that's been done before. It's old, and yet it's new to them. And I think there's that sense that, you know, when there's a thing of pilgrimage, of course, there's that verse in the Bible that says, those, blessed are those who set their hearts on pilgrimage. And it's a sense of going forward, going somewhere, but also taking stuff with you. And I think that's partly what we want to capture as we go on. There's a part of a holy journey and going forward in that kind of sense. Not, not abandoning all we've learned and accrued, but using it to inform the journey. So we're going to start getting more stuff out once we've decided it about Pilgrimage 17. That people said, why, why Pilgrimage 17? My thinking is it's so difficult to come up with a title. Next time we can just call it Pilgrimage and then put a new date on it. Yeah, there you go. No, I only like that. It's good. Right, are we on? Yeah, ready? Click again. Click for victory. Good. Right. We're going to look at today, hopefully, if my timing's right, we're going to look at Church as Apollo. Um, and look at the danger of losing our history and our heritage. So, I have got an exciting game for us to play. Ooh! This game, like many games, may not have much to do with the rest of what happens. We'll see, what, we'll see how we do. So, for, I want to get... I would like to, I've got prizes for the game, but they're not polos. But that in itself is prophetic. You'll see Why? If we get there. Right. So I have prizes. And this is the game. It's a game of chronology. Any primary school teachers here? Go and put your hands up. Put your hands up, primary school teachers. There's one thing we would ask from history departments all over the country. When kids arrive, if they can understand yesterday, today, tomorrow, that would be really helpful. I've not found a year seven group that's ever been able to cope with that yet. So today we're going to solve it. We're going to solve the chronology problem. Has anyone played, there's a, there's a game, a board game called Chronology. Anyone played that? Everyone wants me on my team. I'm absolutely useless at it. 
because I think I know when the date is, but I don't. Right, okay, let me, let me have Zach. Come forth, Zach. You, huh? Was he asleep? What? Come here, you've got this one. The birth of Jesus. Right, okay, right. Let us have, take one. The Welsh Revival, the more recent one, right? There was other ones, right? Okay. Oh, oh, right. Trisha May. No, actually, you've got a bad foot, haven't you? Mm, okay. Luke. Actually, no, no, let's have Sia Bonga himself. There we go. You'll see why. Lob and Gula's rule of Matabelli land. <laughs> <laughs> the glorious revolution. Glorious revolution. Let's go for Lynn. He's like a glorious revolution. And Julius Caesar invades Britain. Ha- uh, well, maybe not hands. I'll have you. Come on. Right, okay. Now. Now, here's the deal. We're going to do it in three. three. You have to hold them up. Hold them up. There we go. Right, we have to do in three. We're doing three blocks. You lot, you lot stay silent. This lot are going to shout them into the right place. This should be a laugh. Right, okay, so you've got to get them in order. This being the furthest away, furthest into the past, and that in being the future, right? You've now got to order them. You've got 30 seconds to order them by shouting. Shouting, shouting. Tick, 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 boo, that's it, that's your final answer. Right, can I have someone with an iPhone take a quick picture of that? Go on, one of you lot, take a picture of them, stand, stand close together. Go on. There we go, there you go, you lot come here, there we go, right. You got a picture? Right, there you go, that is your answer. Right, okay, good, okay, right, you lot, shuffle around, come to this lot. We'll do you lot together, I can see it's going to take a while. They've got the clever people. Come, come here. You've got to shuffle up. They've got to now shout you into order. That was their answer, right? Yeah, if you just go in a line, quick, shuffle up, because they might have got it right. There we go. Not just spin. Right. Remember, prize to share between you. Glorious revolution, you all. Sorry, I can't hear Andy. Sorry about glorious revolution. No, 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 British, British Glorious Revolution. Yeah, I don't know if there was a... I don't, the Russians are always revolting. Right, okay, right, you lot together, all right? Shout them into the right place. Ready? Go! No, don't steal the sweets. Well, maybe... Right, are you satisfied? Right, tick, 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 tick. No, no, no! See, who said that history can't be exciting? There you go, right. Let's have a look. Is that your final answer? Right. Anthony, have you got a camera there? Someone take a camera. Is that the same as you lot did? This is going to be problematic. Right, there you go. Right, thank you very much. You can all sit down. Now, Anthony and, uh, was it, um, Ethan, right. These are, let me see if I've got the right order here. Right, these are the answers. Tell me if you get it right, okay? That's a surprise. It's going to be interesting because there's not that many of them. Right, it was worked differently in my mind. Right, okay, here we go. The first... Julius Caesar invades England 54 BC to 55 BC. That should be the other way around. 
Right, okay. The glorious revolution was not next. Because I've not written them in order. Best quickly look at these dates. Right, next was the birth of Jesus. When was Jesus born? Oh, look, Chris knows. Between 4 and 6 BC. I was very upset with that. No, that's where he was born. Not when, when. Right. But we'll do locations next time. We'll do a geography one next time. Right, okay. So then it's Jesus. Then it is Glorious Revolution. 1688, yes. That one was... So Heidi's not here because she's doing a piece together training. I want to do that because they do get irritated by a bit of that history, the Irish. Yeah, they don't like, they don't like James. and uh, They don't like William, rather. No, they don't. It's a little bit like Dad's army. Right, okay. Um, <laughs> right, then it is Lob and Gula. Anyone to give us any dates for Lob and Gula? You know, I remember, he, they used to, kind of, he was a big man. They used to cover him with fat and put diamonds in him. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. He cooked really well. Right, okay, he's uh, 1868 to 1894. Actually, I forgot to say, don't use your phone, shit little chiefs. Right. Then, lastly, it was a Welsh revival, which is 1904 to 1905. Who got them all right? Right. I'll have to give you all a mint. <laughs> Suck it and pass it on. There you go. That's it. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. I will give you, I will, uh, I will get, I'll give you mints to your representatives. There you go. There you go. Right. And you can get one off of them. If there's none left, they, they'll go and buy you some. Right. Okay. Okay, there's a reason why it's not a polo, though. Other than the fact that it wasn't in the shop, there's another reason. Okay, okay. Um, history, of course, is not about ordering some dates. It's about heritage, identity, and how we go about the future. I think it's, it's not about looking back. It's about looking forward. In fact, I remember the day after 9-11, I was in the classroom, and every class kids were saying to me, is that it? Is that the Third World War, sir? Is that it? Because there was a recognition that as, as we looked at affairs of the past, that we could start looking and predicting what went in the future. We could actually plan things. I don't think they asked the maths teachers that. No, no. Any maths teachers here? We've not got maths teachers, have we? No. Rachel, well. Yeah. Right, so let's have a quick look at some church history then. If I have my two beautiful assistants come forth. Yeah, Richard, that's you. <laughs> right. Yeah, you, have to come, you have to come up. Yes, he didn't recognise himself as beautiful. Right, here we go. Um, these guys are going to help us with a quick reading. No, you have to use this one together. You're not allowed to use that one because that's tuned up for the singers, you see. Musicians, you know. Right, have you got that? Will that pick them up? Right. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now... There were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard in their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these, people, aren't, these people, aren't these people who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us can hear in our own native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of our God in, in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, 
This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. He went on for some time. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made, his, made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number on that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at, at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God for enjoying the favour of all people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Excellent. Thank you very much. Yes, I think Well done. Well done. Did a superb job. They've been rehearsing for days and months. Or was it that I gave it to them this morning? Right, okay. So, um, there's three things um, I want to identify that happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, there's lots more than that, but you've got to identify the things that I'm thinking of, okay? So, give me one thing that happened. One thing. Oh, look, you've all gone to sleep. It's like Church of the Living Dead all over again. Yes. Tongues of fire. What was that representing? What had happened? Holy Spirit. Okay, here we go. Holy Spirit comes. Good. Right. We'll give you a mint. Get one off Anthony. Right. Good. Next. What else happened then as kind of result of that? What does Peter do at length? Spoke boldly. Shared the gospel with boldness. And it had results. I've kind of snuck that one off. Right. And then finally, what's the final thing? That ends with church is born. Yes, they want to break that one down a bit. Saved and added. Got that already. Thank you. Right, well, fellowship. Excellent. Good. Fellowship of believers, and they had everything in common. These are three key things. Now, I want to give you a sneaky. This is kind of a bit of a sneaky peek of what we're going to look at next week because I find there's an interesting pattern. When the Holy Spirit, when people are baptised the Holy Spirit, we see these three things happening consistently. And actually, as I've been talking to some of our, I don't know what you call them, veterans, some of those people have been around for a little while, you know. <laughs> veterans, you like that, Angela? Okay. Uh, about the whole things, about why they came to this church, this place, and that kind of thing. You see a bit of a pattern coming on like this, and we'll see if we can spot that next week. But, I mean... I'm, Actually, there was the clip I wanted to show you is a couple of clips, but, but it's about when God moves. There's a great film. We'll see if we can show a bit of it next time. Um, could Ward, Woodlawn. It's about an American football team in the South, um, in America, in the early 1970s. So you've got the whole civil rights thing going on. And there's lots of stuff, kind of lots of tensions between black and white. They're integrating schools, forcibly integrating them. And there's a football team that, you know, it's not very good. They don't play together. But there's someone who goes to a Billy Graham crusade. He becomes like a, I don't know what you call it, a kind of sports pastor or something. It's a strange position. And he shares, he shares with these guys things can be different. And to be honest with you, his message ain't that good. In fact, I think Peter's message is a bit tricky to get your head around as well. His message is not that good. But it's anointed. And people just start responding. I don't know if any of you can recall back to um, 1989 and Billy Graham's um, 
crusade at, uh, at the, the Holy of Holies, Upton Park. Um, and uh, I, remember, um, I remember Dad often talking about it, and uh, he got there one night, and he was told, oh, this is youth night. So he hadn't really prepared for youth night. And he said, oh, I hear it's youth night, and he gets up and talks. And Dad's sitting there thinking, oh, he's really busted it this time. That was nothing. But people just responded. Because it's not really about the stuff, the words. It's about what God does. It's about the fact that things start happening. And I'm getting excited about when I see God move, whether all the forward action, all the prep has been done or not, or if I think it's good. Because you know what? Here's the interesting thing about you lot. We can have a time of response. It could, it could be... It could be very little to do with what I say. But you lot are ready to respond. You're a good bunch of people. Because we're hungry for God. As I've been talking to people about the conference and going ahead, it's interesting, all the different things that people said they liked and different bits they'd like again. But you know the consistent thing people say, we want to meet with God. We want to connect with him. We want our lives to be tuned in with him. You could, you know, you could, you could have a one-man one, one band and, and hop up and down all the time, but we want to meet with God. And that's what, that's what brings us there. And I think there's a sense of that. We don't have to all the packaging right. And we want that fresh move. But we mustn't lose our heritage. And that's what I would particularly want to pick up this last bit today. Let me tell you a little bit of stuff that's affected me. Fred Singleton, bless him. Uh, he would have been 100 uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and what, a, what a, uh, a world and changes he saw and that kind of thing. His, his stories probably is what gave me my passion for history and stuff like that. And uh, he was, uh, just a, some of you may know, some of you may not, he was a fireman during the Blitz in the East End. Um, he, was, uh, he was trained, um, and uh, he had some great stories that I've started to write down. He spent most of the war running away from the Red Caps, the uh, military police. But, uh, so, but... Anyway, he was, he was a bit of a... Well, he was in love, actually. That was, it was a bit of a soppy story. He likely wanted to be with my nan the whole time. I mean, it's probably better than being shot at. Um, <laughs> so, but he was trained in 1942. He was trained to demine a shoe mine, right? Not the shoe bomber. It's a shoe mine. It's a German word. And uh, various things happened. He got pneumonia. He had an appendicitis, all this kind of stuff. And he was passed um, four weeks before D-Day. He was passed A1 fit. There's no way he would have been fit. Passed him A1 fit, and he was in the first wave um, on D-Day on uh, uh, Gold Beach. And he was injured three weeks after three days uh, a D-Day uh, near Bayer, where the Bayer Tapestry uh, is. And um, so amazing stories in that sense. Um, and so that kind of got me interested, but, uh, but he used to say this thing to me. Now, he said it to me. I don't believe he said it to Nathan and Jamie. So just, you know, be, be sensitive to them about that. Okay, but he said, Daniel, you take the name on. Not quite sure what that means. But he used to say it to me, Daniel, you take the name on. I was the firstborn male child. I took Singleton on. Yes, I have produced a son, a firstborn. I have done my bit, right? (laughs) Because I've done my bit, they don't get to take the name on, in that sense. They are not first-class singletons, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. But you see, amongst his stories and that stuff, is it it talked to me about identity and heritage, there was something I got to inherit. And actually, as singletons, we've we've got a bunch of heritage. My... Dad's mum's father, and my, yes, no, yes, that's right, and my mum's, mum's father, I can't, there's, I can't get the right wording right for what they are, both of them were, were ministers uh, of some sort, one was a kids minister, one was a church minister. They both actually were saved on the back of the Welsh revival when it came to the East End. Both of them, now the stories might have been changed a bit, but we'll go with this. Um, both of them came out of pubs, drunk, walked into open-air meetings and just got marvellously saved. And they went home and both of them, their wives thought, cool, that's a five-minute wonder. But they went on and on. And that's an interesting heritage for us in that sense. So we got a sense of heritage. Um, I, I'd start to talk about that being the witnesses. 
We talk about there the cloud of witnesses. And there is a heritage in this house. When I talk about this house, I'm talking about this, this community, this body of people. We're obviously not talking about the house, Mayfield. We're talking about us. There's a heritage. And that's what I want to really look at. You know what? Today, it's really important we recognise what God's doing everywhere. I'm up for that. Recognise what God's doing. There's particular flavours that God's doing in different places. We believe in the, the fivefold ministry. We know there are certain gifts that are resident with us. You know, we have, we have people who are teachers. We have, we have the apostolic and that kind of thing. But there are some gifts that we, we need to get from elsewhere, right? There are some people we, we bring in prophets, and that kind of thing. So what that says, even by itself, is we recognise we're not the complete picture. We recognise there needs to be stuff brought in. So I'm not, in what I'm going to say now, I'm not doing down what else is, is elsewhere, but I do want us to spend a little bit un-English time recognising what we have here. Our DNA, the stuff that gives us life, the stuff that's important to us. Um, it's our family gems. Oh, I've, I've not clicked. There we go. Heritage of this house and the family gems. And actually, that's somewhat, I think, what Jamie's been doing with us uh, with the Spirit Adventure and the Radical Norman. And we're going to look at more of that next week. Let's turn, if you have your Bibles or your iPhone, open it. Let's have a look at Hebrews 11, actually. I want to look at the bits before this cloud of witnesses thing. Right. Verse 11, verse 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Zip forward to verse... Where is it? Verse 36. We're still talking about these cloud of witnesses. Some faced jeers and floggings, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death by sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what has been promised. God planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. What I wanted to pick up there is, I think we have, we have the, the eternal cloud of witnesses, but I think we have a cloud of witnesses amongst us as well. We have people that have laid down their lives, people who made choices to leave particular church expressions to make what is lifeline. And partly what I want us to do, we're going to spend some time next week, is, is find out why. Why did, you know, why did the Jarvises end up here? Why did the Ackermans come here? Why did my parents come here? What was those things? What are those things right back in the beginning? That, what are those gems that we need to get hold of and look at in that sense? You know... As, um, as we've been looking at some of this stuff over the past weeks, what's really struck me is that, um, is that whole thing about church life. Um, and uh, we've looked at where it's white hot, where it's really, really potent, really great amongst us. And actually, quite frankly, where it's not. Where it's not, where it's a bit tired, where, where stuff is not where it should have been. And what I've realised is that there's a lot of our church life or where we want our church life to be or to recapture where it was which looks organic looks like it kind of happens all by itself but it ain't and it doesn't because we've had to do stuff intentionally do you remember the story dad told about burying the car we did do that one didn't we and I think so you know so for some reason I think there was a period of time where it was just expensive to get rid of cars so they had the so they someone had a big garden. It's in Crow Lane somewhere. In the Crow Lane at the moment, someone is probably planting and finding a large a car under there. So they thought, right, we need to get we'll just bury it in the garden. It's absolutely crazy, and they're they're fruit cakes. I mean, they, these folk from the seventies, they're nuts. But they did it together because it was about being together and doing stuff together, and they had to be intentional. You can't unintentionally bury a car. Right? I'm not saying we should go and do, I'm not saying we should go and repeat some of their stuff. All right? You know, they they were rebellious and crazy. We therefore rebel against them by being, you know, normal. That's our rebellion. Right. When you live in the good of something, it's hard to recognise that it wasn't always so. 
We have freedom of speech. We have universal suffrage. Everyone can vote. I'm not sure that's a good idea. We have employment rights. We've got cheap food. I'm always on about cheap food. You know how significant cheap food has been to our nation's development? It's huge. It makes a huge difference being able to have cheap food. Lots of workers was done in the background. Lots of sacrifices were made. I was listening to um, a speaker recently, and he was, he was talking to the, the congregation saying, you don't care about government. You're not that bothered about it. You don't care about it because you live in the good of it. But if you lived in North Korea, you'd have a bit more of attention about government. You'd care about it in that sense. People fought and died for the freedoms we have. And yet now, I mean, it's an interesting thing. There's a lot of talk about how, um, how with the European vote, it was older people voting, and generally is older people voting, and, and younger people didn't vote. And, oh, it's terrible because it's, you know, it's our future and all that kind of thing, young people say. Well, part of the thing is those older people who voted. They took the opportunity to do the thing. They, you know, you have to, those who turn up decide. And so there is an interesting kind of thing about that. We have to get involved. Recently, I've been talking to and hearing different stories about people going away. And we've had people go away to university all the time. And they talk about, you know, and there's an app now you can go on. And you put your details in or something. And it magically finds you a church. But it doesn't give you community. It finds you a church. So we asked people a number of years ago who were away at university, what do you miss? And normal things came back. They missed worship. They missed, uh, they missed some of the relational stuff. But you know the thing that struck us that came for one year particularly strong? They missed the high expectation. That's one of our flavours. We have high expectation. In fact, there was a young lad who'd been around with us for about five years, done lots of different things, done do loss, that kind of thing. And he decided he was going to leave. And I said to him, why, why, you know, why do you want to leave? I didn't feel he should stay. Why do you want to leave? He said, I need to go to a church where they've not got such high expectations. <laughs> Save me from that. But yet, you know, that, that's a reality for him. And, and that's so ingrained in me to have high expectations. It's kind of part of our DNA in that sense. Let me just read you this, this thing from, a, from the front of this book. This book's called, um, it's called Climb the Highest Mountain. And it's, um, and it's talking about, it's a church pioneer talking about, uh, it's the dedication um, of his book. And it, it's talking about men. I don't think it has to be just men. but So it says, To the young men who first heard this message and lived them into reality, you were about 20 in number. Your average age was 22. That was 14 years ago. I had never known, nor will I ever know, an honour greater than this. I served with you in Christ. Today you are in your mid-thirties. It's my hope that I will one day see some of you again, perhaps in your forties, I trust in that future hour, that I will see you as I saw you 14 years ago, high up on a mountain with a banner in your hand and a gleam in your eye. I know I like a bit of drama. Okay. But there is something about a higher calling and a higher place. I don't want to settle for base camp if God's got something for us. In fact, in the, in the book he goes on and talks about, um, he talks about laying down our lives actually and being, being injured by and assaulted by Christians in that sense. But he's, he's saying, let's, let's at least say, let me go further. Let me not go backwards. Let me go further than the last generation. Even if I don't reach the heights, even if I don't reach the end, let me at least go further. Let me have that high expectation. And I think that's partly what what stirs me up in that sense. When when we hear from some of our our own crowd of witnesses, our own heroes of the faith next time, I want to pick up on these questions. What made them do what they did? Why did they take the risks they took? What was the cost? There's something about cost. Do I value what I have too cheaply? Is there a baton to pick up for this time? Let's, um, let's just have a look. I just want to give you a picture of church, and, and also I've got to get my title, otherwise you'll wonder what the polo thing was about. So, um, Two pictures. Church is a field, 
and church as a force. So what's, uh, what's church as a field? Well, it's a church where all the activity has to take place at the field. That's where everything's done. That's where the ministry is and all that kind of stuff. That's, um, that's really key. Oh, hello. I've missed a page. Right, there we go, back there. Right. What's this features? It's visible. It needs to get profiled because people need to come in and know where it is. It's, attra- it's got attractive meetings. It's got attractive programme. But here's the stinker. It consumes everything it produces. I think, actually, from what I hear from talking to, to friends, the people I come across who are in really large churches, um, sometimes they are all-consuming. They consume their product. And that's, they do evangelism and all that kind of thing, but, but they're, they're consumers. So how about church as a force? I know Jamie's going to pick up on this in a couple of weeks, but I, I want to just do a little bit here. Rather than activating happening in the place, it's about activating people who primarily will be acting outside of meetings, outside of the church gatherings. Their, their ministry is out there. What's its features? Well, worship, training, fellowship, it's all important because it's there to equip. Meetings are rest and recuperation. They're not an end in themselves. right? They're, they're there for purpose. The work of the church is out there, and it's a producer. We determined as a church to be a producer. We weren't going to consume all that we had. We wanted to affect and, and make an impact on the world and the world around. So those are two alternatives, and cheekily, I want to kind of take you on to ah, this. Well, that's, this kind of does a thing. Ephesians 4, often lose it when we're looking at the apostolic so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You know, an evangelist, the job of an evangelist is not to do all the evangelism. It's to release evangelism in the people. As an apostolic house, it's not for, for dad to go around apostolicizing, whatever that would be. It's actually that we would expect that some of our role would be governmental. We would challenge the systems. We would make a difference, and we've already seen some of that. We can can see it really easy with uh, with some of the stuff we've done in Faith Action and LCP. We can see the stuff that Bob Baker did in the past. We can see it with Nick in the music industry and PJ meeting the Queen all the time, poor lady. Um, We've got these different things happening. We've got Andrew's stuff in terms of that, that life-saving stuff he's doing, ex- exciting things, penny stuff in terms of teaching and learning and language acquisition. There's many, many, many more things. That's us being apostolic. It's released in us. Would you want Dad to be teaching kids? Poor bless him. Would you want him to be rapping? <laughs> Could be fun, though, couldn't it? Releasing those things to happen. Um, I went to a church once, and uh, it was their baptism service, and the whole uh, room was full of people who were there. They all looked, they were all able-bodied. I mean, that was very clear. They, they, they weren't, like, not able to do stuff. There were some young people. And uh, it was a baptism service. I think it was my cousin's baptism. And the pastor, um, he led the worship with his guitar. I don't think there was anyone else. He's leading the worship, doing his guitar thing. Then he jumped into this special rubber suit, have you, seen, have you seen those suits? In his suit, in his you know, shirt and tie and that kind of thing, he was a proper preacher, he got into a rubber suit and then got into the baptistry, baptised the person. They had a little music for him to undo his suit. It was a tape. And he got up and then he, did, um, then he spoke or sung or did something again. Right? And everyone's sitting there watching him. There he is. You know. Please be invested in that rubber suit. That will help him. It's interesting, isn't it? It was a real picture of one-man ministry. I mean, he had to do everything. Poor bloke, he looked really tired. <laughs> Maybe we should get one. Maybe, Martin, you could do that. <laughs> I'd like to see Martin jumping in and out of a rubber suit. Right. But it was, that's, that's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be all of us released to minister, to do stuff. Right. Church is a polo. There we are. There's a polo again. What's a polo? Oh, sorry. Go back. We'll go back to him in a minute. <laughs> Got ahead of myself because I'm not on the right page. So, describe to me a polo. What, what is the key factor of a polo? Got a hole in the middle. Good. Oh, good basic questions up there. Okay. 
There's a hole in the middle. It, um, this relates to the monkey stuff. You know Jamie's monkey story we've been doing, the monkey business. So you can have a whole bunch of activity that goes on, but you can lose your centre. You can lose the thing in the middle that started it. And that brings me on to the turkey. I was going to try and find a turkey without uh, Mr Bean helped me. It was late last night, and I thought, let's get Mr Bean in on it. You know, um, I believe it's in the States. It's probably here as well. But um, they discovered that for three generations, uh, these women had been these women. I'm talking about Christmas cooking, so it needs to be, other than Ken Jarvis. Not in your house, house, no. No, but anyway, these these mothers, because it's generational, I'm not being sexist yet. I'll do that later. Um, So the the women, they took the turkey, they cut the legs off, and they put it on top, and they shoved it in the oven. Okay. And, uh, you know, time went on, and, you know, there was different different equipment, that kind of thing. And and finally, this this chap was saying, why do you take the, the legs off the turkey? And the woman said, well, it's because my mum did it. I mean, does it cook better? I, I don't know, my mum did it. And then they, then they asked the, the mother, why did you do it? Well, 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 my mother and my grandmother did it. Why is that? Finally, they worked out the reason they took the legs off the turkey was at the start they couldn't fit the turkey in the oven. <laughs> but they were doing this activity on, on the basis of something that w- wasn't relevant anymore. And I think that's one of the things we've got to look at. Is there activity we're doing that relates to something that was a good... I mean, you want to cook the turkey, you've got to cook it all. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But actually, the way they went about it was based on, on not knowing what the centre was, what the purpose was in that sense. We have a lot of activity around the sides, but we could lost the costly revelation at the centre which gave rise to it. it if we've lost our centre, we can be subjected to, to getting stuck in tradition or getting pulled around with fads. That kind of thing. We know what tradition is. You know, we do the same things every time. I remember when Heidi and I were leading the youth, we decided to move the youth from where David Jones and co were there. They were at the back. And we thought, we'll put them here. And there was a bunch of people's seats that we took. And it was quite funny to watch the faces of the people. <gasps> Those young people have taken our seats with their dirty bottoms. <laughs> But we have to shake things up a little bit in that sense. So tradition, we know. Fads is really interesting. It's really easy to go with a fad, right? Ah, that's what that church is doing. Let's, let's do this, that, and the other. Let's, let's grab that fad. Let's have a food bank, right? We know that in some parts of the country, there's too many food banks. In other parts of the country, there's not enough. We'll, we'll take some of those things. Because we'll that's what everyone's doing. Because we've lost the centre. We've lost the kind of the thing, the revelation. In, in drama terms, who here has studied drama Okay, that's just us talking, right? There is a, there is a special dramatist called Stanislavski. Well, he's dead. You, you know Stanislavski? Oh, okay. He was a Russian. And he talked about finding the kernel, the life-giving force within a play. You have to find the meaning right in the centre. You have to, and it's that thing, it's, that's the DNA that kind of gives life to it. And we need to get back and find that kernel to those things. I think we've got to focus on cost. Jefferson said this. Tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. There's a sacrifice that has to take place. There's a, there's a cost, there's a blood that has to be there. And, uh, and I was struck as I was looking recently. I've been working, way, working my way through the New Testament. I, mean, I know you might think that's not unusual, but for me it was. Um, And I'm interested how many times Paul is berating the church about losing stuff that they had, revelation they had. You foolish Galatians, he says. You you know that you can't earn your way into the goodness of God, and yet you're trying to earn it. You're daft. You were running a good race. Who got in your way? He's berating them. In 2 Kings 22, a verse that's, uh, the chapter's very important, this is about King Josiah. King Josiah comes along, they discover the book of the law. They read it to him, he rips his clothes because he realised how far his nation is from the reality of that. He didn't hang around thinking about it, he didn't have a committee, he ripped his clothes, he took action, he had revelation. And then he goes on from that, he goes on, you know, he gets it read before the people, everyone listens, everyone confesses, everyone repents, he defiles graves, he acts, the revelation leads to activity. And then in second. Uh, Chronicles, it talks about if my people will humble themselves. To l- learn, you have to be humbled. 
You have to put yourself, you have to open yourself up. And partly what I think we need to be doing is we need to be seeking God and saying, God, what is it? What are those gems? What are those things you planted in us? What are the things that, that the veterans amongst us can tell us? How can we get back to it? How can we get hold of what uh, revelation there was in us in that sense? So we need to get back to finding our centre. These are things, these are the challenges, I think. We need, we need to commit to treasure that stuff that God's given us. All right? I have a close friend. We are often wrestling back and forth. And I'm saying, there is something special that God's put in us. And he says, no, no, you just need to be where God's put you. And I say, but I still think there's something special. Doesn't mean there's nothing special at City Gates. Doesn't mean there's nothing special somewhere else. I just think there's something special. We used to have that uh, logo where we were a jigsaw piece. And that reflection, you know, there is something God's... And if we don't treasure it, we'll get fads and traditions. We need to get into asking the question, particularly when we get, you know, young Lynn, and we talk to him, oh, what, you know, why, why did you come to be here? Don't accept an answer which just gives you narrative. Well, we did this, and we did that. Ask the why question. You can be a three-year-old again. Why? Why did you do this? Why did this happen? Anthony's going to help us next week, and hopefully he'll wheedle out those why questions. Like, like me, we need to sit on the grandfather's knee, right? Angela's very ready for this. We're going to sit on her knee. <laughs> we need to hear those stories and get back to them again. The, the video, the reason I wanted to show you some of these videos is because there is something in me that when I see, when I hear testimony, I told you this recently, I think at the baptism, when I hear testimony, there's something in me that gets quite emotional. I swear, if you've got a dog up there that gave testimony, I'd get emotional about that as well. Um, there's something about hearing what God has done and what he's doing and what he did in the past. I've had a sneak preview. We've, we've interviewed Lynn already. I didn't know a bunch of the stuff that brought him here and Ruth. Yeah, But it, it excites me. It excites me, and I want that to wash over you. Yeah? So we want our veterans to be reignited, yeah? We want to go back to that first love, all that kind of stuff. We want to get hold, why is it that brought us here? And we want our young people, bless them, they're dozing off now. If you're an extra young person, you can give them a nudge. We want them to be motivated and inspired. One of, one of your number recently, you lot, one, one of them said, listen, they talk about the conference, they said, listen, the kids did a lot of stuff last time, the young people, well, they need a big kick up the bum. This young person said this. Yes, I am very happy to provide that boot. Richard Hilton is going to join me. Chris Page, we're going to do booting young people. We need to be motivated, we need to be inspired. We need to recapture the heights. Because ultimately, we want to be equipped to stand at the gate. Yes, remember that stuff that Hugh brought us about standing at the gate, making a difference, challenging the world at the time. It goes right back to the start. We live in incredible times of change. And people, I tell you what's clear, is people don't need money. They ultimately don't need benefits. They don't need work program. They don't need those things. They do need us to tell them what God is like and to say, listen, here's Jesus. And we want to be that. Yeah? And there is something in our community, there's something in the potency that we have that we've got something to obtain. I don't think we are in the white-hot nature of shared life that I remember. I don't think we are... I think everything is kind of pulling against that. I think the enemy sets up alternatives to distract us. So when we get involved in each other's business... The, re- the natural rebellion in us says, hey, 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 hang on. Stay in your bit. I think the radical part is when we start to involve ourselves in love with one another. Yeah? I think that's, that's part of the deal, and I think there is something more to come in that sense. So, those are the, those are the things uh, there I want us to look at. We will come back and look and hear from some other people next time. I'm done, there's no kids. Did you just text me? Judy texts me <laughs> normally PJ texts me while I'm speaking <laughs> put me off. good thank you Daniel um, 
So we continue to chew this stuff through in, in groups at the moment, um, asking lots and lots of questions. So let's continue to wrestle with, with this. What does the normal radical look like? Um, yeah, the polo analogy is very helpful, isn't it? Going back to the centre, why we do things, and then finding that new relevant expression of what it means to walk with him in a radical way. Um, so let's continue with that. We are officially done, but if there are things that you would like um, people to stand in prayer with you for, please do come to the front and we can have um, some leaders pray with you. Enjoy the rest of your day.